was like a clown car. People just started pouring out and they just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. Tonight, a restaurant refuses party bus patrons and wonders why the vehicles are even allowed during a pandemic. Plus, about 30 residents on the street had come out to take a photograph of me eating from that garbage cart. Social media mistake, how shooting a bear on your phone could result in the bear being shot and never, never think, give up, never, never give up. Give That's up. the whole point. The parents' message after their baby and another are saved by the kindness of strangers. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. A train derailment on Vancouver's waterfront, and it was all caught on camera. Kean Gray heard an unusually loud screeching sound coming from the rail yard at Waterfront Station late this morning and began recording. A number of stacked container cars were being dragged sideways across three sets of tracks, eventually coming to rest against a parked tanker car. Gray says there didn't appear to be any injuries or a spill. Heavy cranes were brought in to remove the damaged and jackknifed cars. We're waiting to hear back from CP Rail as to what may have caused the train to leave the tracks. Another staff member at a long-term care home has tested positive for COVID-19. Fraser Health says the outbreak at New Vista Care Home is limited to one unit in the building and the staff member is isolating. Enhanced cleaning and infection control measures are in place to protect staff, residents and families. Health officials are also working to identify anyone who may have been exposed. Despite a 46% increase in COVID-19 cases in BC over the past week, mostly among 20 to 30 year olds, it appears some people are still eager to party. Last night, upwards of 25 people poured out of a party bus on the Granville Strip. As Paul Johnson reports, they were surprised when a bar refused to let them in. Here, like all of our, all of our tables have been separated. At the living room bar in Vancouver's Hotel Belmont, General Manager Don Falconer can tell you about the long and hard road they've walked just to be open. We try and aim for a sense of normalcy in a crazy world right now. The rules are pretty clear. Six people per table, six feet between tables, and you can only get out of your chair to go to the bathroom. We let everybody know before they come in what the rules are, and then if we need to give them sort of a gentle reminder at the table, then we'll do that. And, uh, and if they still refuse to listen, then we'll offer them to go somewhere else. So you can imagine the awkward moment late Saturday night here in the Granville Club District when this happened. I looked out this window right here and there's a big 30 foot long black party bus. It was like a clown car. People just started pouring out and they just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. A couple of dozen by Faulkner's estimate. Normally, he'd be quite gratified to get a party bus looking for more, but not this summer. Nobody who just got off that bus is coming into our place. And that's not the only incident. Here's video posted online by a shocked North Van resident who watched this party bus cruise through the neighborhood. Well, it's not immediately clear whose vehicles these are and what level of compliance is happening, it's hard to imagine they're practicing social distancing while living large on the town. As much as bars like the living room would welcome $1,000 or so in business, there's a sign near their door that makes it clear. If you want to get your freak on, okay. 
but it's Dr. Henry who sets the party rules these days. Not hanging out in groups of larger than six people in an enclosed space like a party bus is a great idea. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Vancouver Sunset Beach is closed to swimmers due to dangerous levels of E. coli. Signs have gone up to remind beachgoers not to go in the water. All other beaches remain open, although resampling is being done at Trout Lake, Kitts Beach and Kitts Point. Surrey RCMP are investigating a bizarre incident where a man gave away a stack of cash to children at a Cloverdale housing complex. Police received reports Saturday afternoon that one or two young men in a dark SUV drove into Rodeo Park at 57th and 176 and began handing out $20 bills. One parent says they counted at least $160. RCMP have one of the bills and are trying to determine if it's real. Police say at this point they don't suspect anything nefarious but admit the incident is suspicious. They want to speak with the man who was handing out the money. Well, I saw some guys just roll up in their car yeah. and they just started handing kids some money and saying they finally got rich and just started giving out $20 bills and all, everything. A reminder today that trying to capture video of wildlife can put you and the animal at risk. It follows the recent death of a North Shore black bear known as Huckleberry. As Grace Key reports, those familiar with the bear say its life shouldn't have ended this way. First spotted in early July at Deep Cove, this black bear dubbed Huckleberry was eating scraps from an organics cart. The North Shore Black Bear Society responded, saying it was easy to get Huckleberry to move on. Use a deep, firm tone when you want them to leave an area from a safe distance. And then as Huckleberry wandered off into the forest, I did give a more negative experience by blasting the air horn. Huckleberry's popularity grew with Deep Cove residents who wanted video of the bear as it dined on berries and ate out of garbage and organic carts. It was last spotted on July 31st. We only found Huckleberry that day after seeing people running down the street with their cameras chasing him for a photograph. We found about 30 residents on the street had come out to take a photograph of him eating from that garbage cart, that organics cart. And so that made our job very difficult. A few hours later, conservation officers tranquilized Huckleberry and put the bear down. A Facebook posting about its demise has been shared almost 4,000 times and has 1,000 comments. One reads, shame on each and every person that does not follow the rules of containing their garbage and food scraps. Another very disturbing and selfish act of people for wanting that video. But if you do have a close encounter... The North Shore Black Bear Society was at Rice Lake on Sunday educating the public on black bears and how residents can coexist with wildlife. People need to learn to give bears lots of personal space and respect. We should always be backing away from bears. We should never intentionally approach a bear. This bear was recently spotted in a North Shore neighborhood running off with an entire bag of garbage. Another black bear has been spotted at Deep Cove, dubbed Plum. The North Shore Black Bear Society hopes they will not meet the same fate as Huckleberry. Grace Key, Global News. Two Metro Vancouver families are celebrating the fact they've been able to raise millions of dollars to help keep their infants alive. Both babies, Arian and Lucy, need a very expensive drug to treat a rare condition known as spinal muscular atrophy. As Julia Foy reports, they're getting it thanks to the kindness of strangers and some high-profile support. There's a lot to celebrate at the Deals House in Surrey. 
Little Aryan just reached his first birthday, and in addition to cake and balloons, he received a gift that could save his life, close to $3 million in donations. We were at uh, 40000 in July 13th, and I think within a less than a month, we got $3 million. It's, I don't know how that happened, and we are very pleased and thankful to everybody. Uh. Aryan has spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. He needs a feeding tube and a breathing support machine when he sleeps. The disease can be fatal before the age of two. Thanks to thousands of people donating, including Indian film star Niru Bashwa, the family can now afford to purchase an American gene therapy drug called Zogensma, which could cure Aryan of the condition. I couldn't believe it. So, uh, yeah, I'm so happy, um, so grateful, so thankful. Aryan isn't the only million-dollar baby in B.C., Little Lucy Van Dormald was also in a race against time to raise enough money to pay for the world's most expensive drug. Global told her story in July. CNN picked it up as well. On Saturday morning, Lucy's family posted a thank you note on the GoFundMe page saying that their goal had been reached and Lucy may receive Zolgensma by early September. I got a hope from Lucy's family because they were doing very good. Then I talked to her mom, like she, uh, she told me some uh, tips, like we can do this, we can do this, 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 this is going to help us. We have to be strong. We have to be always strong, think positive. Never, never think, give up. Never, never give up. The Dales know they've won the lottery. I want to thank every single person who did whatever, share, donate, or anything else they did for Aryan. We are very appreciated, thankful to them. Julia Foy, Global News. A serious crash closed Highway 99 near Whistler for a time this afternoon. It happened at around 2 o'clock, about 8 kilometers south of the resort. Traffic was backed up for several kilometers in both directions. An air ambulance was called. No word on the extent of any injuries. Drive BC says both lanes of the Sea to Sky have now reopened. Five people were injured when two boats collided on the South Thompson River in Kamloops. RCMP say an eastbound ski boat was rear-ended on Saturday by a jet boat traveling at a much higher speed. Two passengers sitting on the lower deck of the ski boat were hurt in the crash. In total, five people were sent to hospital. The extent of their injuries isn't known. RCMP say alcohol is not believed to be in a factor. We're hearing tonight from a group of people who had a frightening brush with death during a vacation in the Shushwap last week. Their houseboat went up in flames in the middle of the night, and as Megan Turcato reports, their harrowing escape has left them forever changed. I just feel so fortunate that we got out. Chris Murphy tries not to think about what could have happened. Murphy, his wife and four kids feel they narrowly averted disaster early Tuesday morning when their rented houseboat caught fire. They were among 21 people aboard the houseboat docked on the shore of Mara Lake when one man noticed the flames. Right at about 2 a.m., uh, John Witt went out to check the generator and when he got to the back of the boat he looked out the window and saw flames. By the time we got off in that minute when we looked back at this boat it was the entire cabin was in flames. Murphy says they didn't hear smoke alarms but somehow all 21 people and two dogs were able to quickly disembark. 
Murphy believes it's important the cause of the fire is investigated to make sure a similar blaze doesn't happen again. This wasn't like a system that was working properly and we all made it out because the system worked. The system wasn't working properly. That boat caught fire and the only reason we got off was because John Witt went back there to check on it when he did. Otherwise, we would have had, we would have had people who would have died on that boat. On Wednesday, the office of the B.C. Fire Commissioner said the severe fire damage in this case will make it very difficult to pinpoint the exact location or cause of the fire. The boat was part of Sycamus Houseboat's fleet. The company says safety is its top priority and all systems on the boat were tested and were documented as functioning prior to the sailing. Megan Tricato, Global News. Donations are pouring in for a B.C. couple who died suddenly in Tulamine. Sarah McDermott and Casey Boussier were beginning to work on their cabin. But on BC Day, the B.C. Day long weekend, RCMP say the couple was found unconscious in an outdoor shower. Officers say they could smell fumes. A GoFundMe page has now reached more than $43,000 in donations for their families. Some quick thinking by a group of volunteers helped locate a dangerous weapon. The Surrey Crime Prevention Society says its volunteers saw a suspicious men near the Scott Road SkyTrain station, so they called transit police. When officers responded, they found a crossbow on the suspect. No word on what happened to the weapon or the suspect. A boarded-up restaurant was the scene of a fire at East Hastings and Penticton this morning. Crews say just after 7 o'clock, smoke was pouring from the structure. Fortunately, they were able to knock it down quickly. After back-to-back months of record drug overdose deaths in B.C., a man who battled addiction for decades on the downtown east side and won is hoping to inspire others. Kristen Robinson has more on how Guy Felicella got clean and what he's doing to educate others during B.C.'s other pandemic. Okay, ready? And then hang on tight. Hang on now. Guy Felicella's life has been a wild ride. Every time I, I got knocked down, I, I continued to keep getting back up. He and his wife recently welcomed their third child, baby Leo. Hey, pal. Okay, go ahead. Before he met Brienne and started a family, it was far from child's play. I was either going to die in my addiction or I was going to die trying to get out. This was Guy in 2008, in the throes of a 20-year heroin addiction that would see him overdose six times after fentanyl hit Vancouver's downtown east side. I'd been brought back to life six times. Addiction really threw everything at me, and if it wasn't for that safety net of harm reduction, then there would be no recovery. With just the clothes on his back, Guy left the downtown east side for Surrey in 2013 and tried Suboxone, an opioid replacement treatment, for nine months. Every time I continue to relapse, people, you know, welcome me um, back and, and, and said, hey, you'll do it next time. He did and credits compassion for saving his life. Don't let the shame of your mistakes hold you back from your potential. Now he has a career with the BC Centre on Substance Use. I died six times. And as a public speaker, pushing for a safe supply of drugs not tainted with fentanyl, so users can relapse without dying during recovery. The drug war is, is forcing people Um, to continue to use alone and die because of it. And these deaths are preventable. 175 British Columbians, or almost six a day, died of overdoses in June. 
the deadliest month on record since the opioid crisis was declared a public health emergency in 2016. It's tragic and, you know, it hurts me a lot to see people struggle. The former user urging others to reach out and inject at safe sites. His new life, proof that recovery is within reach. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A candlelight vigil to mourn the victims of the Beirut blast is scheduled to take place at the Vancouver Art Gallery this evening. The event is set to take place at 7 o'clock as a way for people to pray for those involved and to heal from the tragedy. You're being asked to bring a candle and a face mask and to maintain physical distance from others. At least 160 people lost their lives and thousands of others have been injured following a massive explosion that rocked the Lebanese capital on Tuesday. Have a look at this. This is not what you want to see on your baby monitor. Video captures the moment a 5.1 earthquake rattled a town in North Carolina just after 8 o'clock Saturday morning. It's the strongest quake to hit the state in 94 years. There was minor damage to homes and businesses and some fissures in roadways. A small town in western Manitoba is in mourning tonight. A young couple, high school sweethearts who had just graduated, had their lives cut short Friday night when their vehicle became caught in a tornado. Veteran storm chasers say they'd never seen anything like it. Joe Scarpelli has more. Dad had to tell me actually about it. I was sleeping. He had to wake me up. And I started crying. Yushan Campbell says he saw Shayna Berneski and Carter Tilbury just an hour before they were killed. The 18-year-olds were driving in southwestern Manitoba Friday night when police say they were caught by a devastating tornado. They would always come in, get their stuff, always say hi to me as soon as they walk in the door with a smile on their face. Like, they were just always a good time seeing them. Police say the powerful storm tossed Berneski and Tilbury from their truck and carried the vehicle about a kilometer in the air. I can't imagine what the family is going through. Like it's just terrible. Reg Oral is the manager of the grocery store in Melita where Berneski once worked. He says he's short three staff members on Sunday after they requested to stay home and grieve the loss of their friend. Well, she's a great, great kid, uh, funny, uh, energetic, uh, like did what she was told to do all the time and found things to do herself. Tilbury was employed at this farm equipment dealership, his work anniversary just days away. The manager broke down when we spoke to him, saying the teen had a passion for volleyball, loved his truck, and anything with an engine. He graduated from high school last year, Barneski just this spring. It's uh, it's not a really good time for the town, I can tell you that right now. Bill Holden is the mayor of the town of just a thousand, where everyone knows everyone. It's bad enough when you lose two you know, young people like this anywhere, but when you lose a couple of people like this in a small community, everybody's impacted. To give you an idea of how small this town is, we spoke to dozens of people and didn't find anyone who wasn't connected to either of the teens or their families. One question many are asking is what they were doing the night of the tornado and why. Joel Scarpelli, Global News. More political fallout in Lebanon following the devastating blast that ripped through Beirut. Lebanon's information minister has announced her resignation. It comes as citizens protest in the streets, blaming those in power for the chronic mismanagement and corruption believed to be behind the explosion in that port warehouse. After the massive protest that we saw here last night, people are back in the streets and they're clashing again with the government. People are just 
so angry about this blast here on Tuesday, and they absolutely blame the government for what happened. The president said it's an accident. Actually, it's a crime. It's not an accident. And they are not martyrs. They are victims. They have the real authority. That's why we will not get out of the streets until our needs are met, until the new elections and all the three pillars of the government are got down. All day today, people have been telling me that they will not accept simply the resignation of the country's information minister. What they want is for the whole government to fall. They say that it's, you know, the decades of corruption and nepotism and mismanagement that they have been suffering that also led to this blast on Tuesday that killed so many people and really have destroyed this city. You know, there's still a lot of anger in the streets here tonight. They say this is no longer a protest movement. Now it's an uprising. Rebecca Collard, NBC News, Beirut. What have been largely peaceful protests in Portland since federal guards left turned ugly last night. A riot was declared outside the police association building on the 72nd night of protests against police brutality. A literal dumpster fire was set in the middle of the street outside the police building. The department says a group of people also broke into an office and started a fire inside. The blaze was extinguished before it grew out of control. There are new COVID outbreak fears in the U.S. as the case count there tops 5 million, by far the highest in the world. And it jumped by a million in just 17 days. Tonight, the coronavirus crisis deepening with the country hitting 5 million cases. These five states combined, making up more than 40 percent of the infections, including California, where the death toll topped 10,000. This morning in Ventura County, screaming, slapping and shoving during a clash ahead of church where pro-mass demonstrators had gathered. Emotions running high at Godspeak Calvary Chapel, where they're defying statewide orders with indoor services. This government doesn't give us our rights. God gave us these rights. In the hotspot state of Texas, health officials reported a record high positivity rate, climbing since the end of July. In Georgia, where this back-to-school photo went viral, showing students shoulder-to-shoulder in the hallway, the principal now says the school will be closed tomorrow and Tuesday after six students and three staff members at North Paulding High School have tested positive for the virus. The school had suspended Hannah Waters, who initially posted the images, then reversed their decision. I knew walking in masks weren't mandatory, but I kind of, I did trust them to keep us safe. And more questions tonight about the fate of college sports. The Big Ten announcing they'll slow down preseason football practices with no pads or full contact among athletes. This after the Mid-American Conference postponed all fall sports. Analysts believe the fallout is just beginning. I don't think we'll have a season in the fall. I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. But um, there's just too many challenges. It's like trying to thread a needle from 100 yards. There's too many things that can go wrong. But the pandemic is not slowing down the annual Sturgis motorcycle rally, where people packed Main Street, bars, and concert venues. Nobody wants to be the guinea pig. Right, right. But we're going to see. It could go right, it could go wrong. We're, we're going to find out. This was the scene in Rio de Janeiro today as Brazil marked its own grim record. More than 100,000 Brazilians have died from COVID-19, the second highest death toll after the U.S. 
A memorial on Copacabana Beach marked the deaths with 100 crosses planted in the sand and 1,000 biodegradable balloons released. Brazil also has the second highest number of cases with more than 3 million people testing positive. It has now been more than 100 days since New Zealand has seen a domestic trans transmission of COVID. Seen it, it's been a, 100 days since they have seen a single case of COVID-19. There are just 23 active cases being managed in isolation facilities right now and just over 1,200 cases in total in the country. That makes the Pacific Island nation of 5 million people one of the safest places in the world right now. But New Zealand's prime minister is warning against complacency. Countries like Vietnam and Australia, which had once had the virus under control, well, they're now battling a resurgence of infections. And another impact of the pandemic, after a dramatic drop in earnings, Disney is cutting back on amusement park hours. Disney World in Orlando just reopened to visitors on July 11th. The park where the parks were closed for four months due to the pandemic. That resulted in an 85% drop in earnings for the park from the same time in 2019. Starting September 8th, Disney is trimming park hours. The Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios will close an hour earlier. Epcot will close two hours earlier. And the Animal Kingdom is shaving an hour off openings and closing times. It was a major turning point in the Second World War. Today, Nagasaki, Japan, marked the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombing, which devastated the city and killed tens of thousands of people. Due to the pandemic, the memorial ceremony was scaled back. Nagasaki's mayor read a peace declaration, raising concerns over nuclear states, including the U.S. and Russia, retreating from disarmament efforts. At 11.02 a.m. on August 9, 1945, a U.S. bomber dropped a 10,000-pound plutonium bomb named Fat Man on Nagasaki. The bombing came three days after a similar bomb dropped on Hiroshima. And the somber anniversary was marked in this country with the bells at Parliament buildings in Ottawa ringing out in honor of those who lost their lives. America's Got Talent judge Simon Cowell is recovering after breaking his back. Simon Cowell broke his back in several places after testing his new electric bike in the courtyard of his house in Malibu. The 60-year-old entertainment mogul was taken to a hospital and underwent a six-hour surgery Saturday evening. He is reported to be doing well. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A new study casts a new light on one of Canada's most important symbols. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, people living in southern Ontario are flocking to local beaches today in an attempt to beat the heat. Temperatures are expected to be in the low 30s, but with the humidity, of course, don't forget about that, it will feel more like 40 degrees Celsius. And Ontarians will not see any relief anytime soon. Environment Canada expects the heat to stick around until at least tomorrow, but it could persist 
into Tuesday, Yvonne. Oh, hot, hot, hot. And look at some of their current temperatures as well. We've got uh, it's nine o'clock in the evening and temperatures are still sitting at 26 Ooh. degrees and their overnight lows are going to be into the low 20s. So and then through the day tomorrow, it's going to pick up once again and temperatures with the humid X are going to feel into the low 40s. So a heads up. If you've got any family or friends that are in southern Ontario, it'll be another hot day tomorrow. Hoping to see a reprieve on Tuesday. And here's the comparison for us across Metro Vancouver tomorrow. Our temperatures will just be into the low 20s and those will be our daytime highs. Here's a glance at what it looks like out there. We've got more sun uh, than cloud today. It was fantastic. It heated up. It warmed up rather. Temperatures are sitting at 20 out of the airport. We've got a light westerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Bit of a blip though. We may see a bit of cloud rolling in overnight. Partly cloudy for tomorrow morning and then a clearing as we get closer towards the noon hour. So it is going to brighten up once again and likely even hotter. The southern interior will be included within that and we are still seeing a little bit of instability along the north coast for tomorrow. So some cloud cover or partly cloudy overnight for tomorrow morning. Temperatures, the range 23 by the water. Areas away from the water tomorrow up to 26 degrees. When you factor in the humid X it'll feel closer to 29 for us across the west coast. Here's a glance at the temperature trend. It'll be a touch cooler even as we get in midweek. Those are looking for a reprieve and we've got a change on the way with the potential in the long range to see some rainfall and I'll show you more with your five day in just a moment. Fire danger rating a quick update for the southeastern corners of the province indicated in orange that's where we're seeing high much of the southern interior it remains dry and the heat is on we're underneath moderate and the southeastern corners of the island also included within that so please be very diligent with your campfires and of course disposing your cigarette butts. Here's a glance uh, northern half of the province tomorrow so a nice break actually along the coast It'll be inland that we do have a slight chance of showers, even the risk of thunderstorms. Most areas, though, for the northeastern corners will remain dry. A break across the central interior tomorrow with a mix of sun and cloud and highs up to 19 degrees. One more hot day. This will likely be the peak of the heat for the southern interior with most spots getting into the 30s. Castlegar tomorrow will bump up to 33 degrees. And Whistler starting off with that cloud cover and ice clearing on the way. Sunshine by the afternoon and highs up to 25. Western edge of Vancouver Island have left a slight chance for an isolated shower. Cloud cover for the morning and then clearing. It'll be dry by the afternoon and there is a nice clearing for the northern half for areas near Port Hardy. Victoria up to 22 degrees and then areas away from the water. So tomorrow 26 with the Humidex feeling close to 29 degrees. We've got a great start to the work week for both Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, we could see some cloud cover and similar for Thursday, but then it's Friday. This is still a few days out. That's when we've got cloud cover and the chance of showers popping up, but very dry and hot for tomorrow, especially away from the water. It's going to feel closer to 30 degrees. Colleen. Thank you so much, Yvonne. For centuries, one iconic Canadian symbol has been considered destructive vermin or a a source of fur, but new research may change that view. A five-year study of beavers living in southwest England shows just how important they are to the environment. It found that other creatures, including fish, birds, water voles, and even insects, benefited from the beavers' presence. Their dams reduced the risk of flooding to some people's homes even. Beavers in Britain were hunted to extinction more than 400 years ago, one of the reasons for Canada's fur trade. And you know what? They are just so darn cute. Very cute. I've never seen one, I don't think. Have you? I have never seen one up close. Have you ever, Barry? I have, yes. In the wild? You just don't put any animal on the nickel. I mean, you've got to earn earn your way to money and... uh, do you know that I was just looking looking that up? They were not recognized. They didn't receive royal assent until 1975 here.
but they have been recognized as a symbol of this country for well, like about 400 years. <laughs> Leave it to the beavers. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> hey, you. Yes, the Canucks <laughs> now know, speaking of, uh, there's, there's no segue there. The uh, Canucks now know who they're going to play in the next round of the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. It was going to be either the Stars or the Blues. It really looked like it was going to be the Stars, but it ends up being the Stanley Cup champion Blues. So we'll set that up. Actually, Vancouver's played them very well this year and over the past few years and haven't played Dallas very well. So maybe that's a good break, but we'll never know. But we will set that up, and the Leafs and Jackets are playing their sudden death game, so highlights of that. With tight restrictions at BC's long-term care homes, the pandemic has been frustrating for families and a painfully lonely experience for residents, especially those with dementia, not understanding why they have seemingly been abandoned. So one center in Corpus Christi, Texas, has found a way to bring families together in a safe way, an idea that might be worth looking at here. Hope for a better time, hope for a better place for our residents, for their families. Hugs to, to make them feel like there's hope for our future, that this isn't going to be our future forever. That we will have contact with our family and we will find ways to overcome anything that comes our way. Um, we have been up to visit him a couple of times where we could pass things to him, but this is the first time we could actually touch him. I think it's great. I, I hope all the places do it. A sheet of plastic with holes and specialty sleeves may seem simple, but for the folks here at the center, this divider is special. It felt great. It would have felt better if I wouldn't have had the gloves and the thing between us, but it felt great. Oh, I mean, it felt amazing. Like, it's just something you don't want to let go. You just want to keep holding her. Uh, I haven't been able to physically touch her since February. The um, Solstice has done a great job about keeping our families protected, and so it's been a long time coming. I can't, I can't describe it. It's just... It's been so long. Usually we're a huggy, huggy family. <laughs> and so not being able to do it for five or six months, it's, it's, uh, it's been hard. Well, in case you were wondering, the curtain is thoroughly cleaned after each hug. Barry's here with sports. And Barry, I am still trying to wrap my head around the fact that we are watching NHL playoffs in August. Well, get used to it because we've got uh, another couple of months because the usual 16-team playoffs is just about to begin next week and it'll be nine weeks of that. So Oof. it's all here and we love it, of course. <laughs> just like we like the, the, the beaver, of course, too. Okay, it'll be Canucks and Blues in the opening round of the Western Conference playoffs. Why not start with the defending cup champs? For whatever reason, the Canucks actually seem to match up pretty well against the Blues. They beat them twice this year and lost once in overtime. Now, the NHL has not released the first-round schedule yet, but the Canucks Blues will start either Tuesday or Wednesday. We will know details tonight on our 11 o'clock show. Meanwhile, Jake Allen starting for the Blues today. You can bet Jordan Binnington will start game one versus the Canucks. A bit of a ho-hum game until the final minute. One-nothing Blues until Joe Pavelski ties it with the goalie out. Jamie Benn providing the screen in front. Now had uh, St. Louis hung on to that lead, Dallas would be the Canucks opponent, but they didn't. It went to a shootout. Dennis Gurionov beats Jake Allen five-hole. That was the only goal of the shootout. Ryan O'Reilly had to score, but he is stopped by Anton Hudobin, so the Stars win it, meaning the Canucks will meet the St. Louis Blues in the Western Conference quarterfinals. So it is uh, back to business for the Canucks 
as uh, they get ready. The celebrating of a uh, terrific round one is over. The latest on the roster has defenseman Jordy Ben back with the team after being with his wife in Dallas for the birth of their child. He will practice a few times before being a consideration to play. Adam Gaudette is healthy now. He missed the last three games. Tyler Toffoli is also getting closer, but the key for Canucks is they've got some experience now. They have an idea what it takes to win at this time of year and what they need to keep going forward. Especially for, for first-year guys, not really knowing what to, what to expect going into it, um, you know, and how hard our series was of a battle and um, the pace of it, the intensity. Um, it really did, you know, feel like a playoff series and not just a, a play-in thing. Um, so that, that definitely helped, I think, everyone out, um, especially guys, you know, I haven't been in playoffs in two years either, and um, it definitely gets you back into it uh, quick. Okay, so we know it's St. Louis-Vancouver. Here are the other three Western matchups, Calgary and Dallas, Vegas and Chicago, and Colorado, Arizona. Now in the East, Game 5, Leafs and Blue Jackets, last of the play-in series. What a series it's been with the teams trading massive comeback wins. First period, Zach Wierenski, who was injured last game and was questionable, in the lineup, and his shot deflects off a Leaf defenseman and in. That made it 1-0. The Leafs have had some great chances, but John Tavares with an open net hits the post and it stays out. And then in the second, Tavares has another good chance, but Yunus Corposalo has stopped everything so far through 40 minutes. It is 1-0. Columbus through two. The Leafs will need another comeback again. Earlier, Caps and Bruins in their final round-robin game. Boston has not looked very good, lost its first two, and they didn't look that inspired today either. Tom Wilson scores the game winner on a great play. Caps win 2-1. The Bruins, who had the best record in the NHL, will be the four seed in the East, but does it really matter? Eh, not really, I don't think. All right, here are the matchups now in the East. They're all set. It'll be Montreal-Philadelphia. It'll be Tampa Bay against the Columbus-Toronto winner. We put the Leafs logo in there for Leaf fans. Washington and the Islanders will play in one series, and Carolina and Boston in a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference final won by the Bruins. Final round of the PGA Championship. Dustin Johnson with the 54-hole lead. Look how nervous he was. Guy's pulse never rises. And he looked comfortable early. Wedge in hand. Hits it to four feet on the first. Got to 10 under, but didn't do much for about the next three hours. Back to him in a bit. Leader at the leaderboard got real crowded late in the round. Tony Finau from the fringe at 14 knocks it in. At one point, seven players were tied for the lead at 10 under. But then Colin Morikawa got busy. Off the green at 14, chips in for birdie and the outright lead at 11 under. Englishman Paul Casey looking for his first major. Short birdie putt at 16. He ties Morikawa at 11 under. But then Morikawa comes up with the shot of the tournament. This is his tee shot on the drivable par 4 16th, playing 294 yards today. And with driver in hand, this is absolutely perfect. Rolls it to within seven feet. Big smile after that one. What a shot under the pressure by Morikawa. And then he will step up and knock in the eagle putt. A two on the par four. Gets to 13 under and a two-shot lead. Back to Dustin Johnson, who really stalled out. Third shot from the rough, though, on 16. And 
Actually, we'll knock it in for birdie, but he falls short. Johnson finishes at 11 under, tied for second, just like last year. It's the 23-year-old Californian Colin Morikawa gets his first major win, third youngest to ever win the PGA Championship. You figure the first of many majors, a 6-under 64, 13-under, beats Paul Casey and uh, Dustin Johnson by two to win. Adam Hadwin was tied 58th at plus two, Tiger Woods 37th at minus one. NBA today, Grizzlies and Raptors, both teams going with their original unis. The win percent for the Grizz and those powder blues was about 200, so maybe second-guess that choice. Raps started slowly, but at a big third quarter, Kyle Lowry closes it out with the buzzer beating three. Toronto led 88-71. Grizzlies made a run, but the Raps have so many weapons. Pascal Siakam with the tough three stops the bleeding. Siakam led the way with 26. Raps win 108-99. They clinch second in the East. The Grizz, meanwhile, trying to hang on to eighth in the West. Canadian Elite Basketball Championship, Fraser Valley Bandits and Edmonton Stingers. Abbotsford boy Merrick Klassen, the only player back from last year's team that finished last, knocks down the three. Bandits down four at the half. Fourth quarter, it was tight. It was a five-point game, but then Edmonton went on a 19-5 run. The Bandits overcame a 14-point deficit last time or yesterday in the semis. No comeback today. Reigning MVP Xavier Moon with the winning free throw. First team to 90 points win as they play that Elam rule. Edmonton Stingers, uh, Stingers win the CEBL championship 90-73, but still a great run by the Fraser Valley Bandits. F1, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix from Silverstone in England. Lewis Hamilton leading the driver standings, won the British Grand Prix in this track last week. Canadian Lance Stroll passing Daniel Ricciardo there. Another great outing for Stroll, placing sixth, the seventh in the driver standings. But it was all about tire management and pit strategy today. Max Verstappen pushing hard all day. Lewis Hamilton went in for fresh tires in lap 13. Verstappen stayed out, took the lead, never looked back and took the checkered flag as he finishes 11 seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton for the victory. Blue Jays and Red Sox, rubber match of their three-game series. Top of the sixth, tied at two, Bo Bichette. Boy, he is a good young player. Going deep to right center, it's a solo shot into the Red Sox bullpen. 3-2 Toronto in front. But Boston tied it, and then in the ninth, Mitch Moreland will end it in dramatic fashion. A two-run blast to center. Red Sox beat the Blue Jays 5-3 today at Fenway. And once again, with the Canucks, we will know their schedule tonight at 11. So back to you. Barry, I think we need the same kind of fans that they have at the uh, Major League ball games. Uh, the cardboard cutouts. Cardboard, they, yeah. They're quiet. Yeah, they are quiet, yeah. Well, they're all eating Cracker Jacks and popcorn. Oh, it's such a beautiful day today, and nothing like hitting the water on a day like today. This weekend, thousands of paddleboarders took to the canals in an historic Russian city. As part of an annual festival, an estimated 3,000 paddleboarders floated through St. Petersburg's scenic waterways. Participants dressed in an array of costumes from historical outfits to hazmat suits. Organizers said the turnout set a record and at times wasn't exactly COVID safe. Most activities have been prohibited in Russia due to, of course, to the pandemic. But, oh my wow. goodness, wouldn't that be spectacular? So nice. Yeah. Warm day, just paddling around. Yeah, sunny. Mm, love it. Uh, and it's going to be sunny for a couple of days anyway. Yeah, tomorrow's still another hot one, so a heads up away from the water to fill closer to 30 degrees. Pleasant on Tuesday, and we've got a few clouds in the mix, but so far remaining dry for Wednesday, Thursday. Sounds great. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.